motherhood wasn't changing me into this different version of myself. It was actually allowing me to step back into a truer version of myself. And it allowed me to actually step into an even bigger version of my vision rather than a smaller one. Because I was like, if I'm going to take time away from my baby, from my husband, this has got to be for a fucking big vision. This is not happening so I can sit in my inbox. This is not happening so I can just be responding to everyone else's priorities. This has to be because I am going and creating a movement. Welcome back to the Vosse podcast. I am so excited because I decided to bring one of my best friends onto the podcast to just have a good old conversation. So Alex, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is such a great start to the week. Isn't it? What a good way to kick the week off. Okay. So can you give a little bit of background on your business journey? What's that? I'm so sorry. This has never gone off, off in its life. What is it? Like a timing block. Oh, she's getting organized, you guys. Alex is also a Capricorn, so that will also explain the um, organization levels. Do you know the real real is basically after having a baby, I couldn't concentrate on anything for longer than five minutes. And I was so desperate to try and like regain some focus and ability to decision make. I ordered one of these cubes off Amazon that you like flip and it like counts you down for 15 minutes. But I feel like this often happens with Amazon purchases. Just the purchase was enough to get me to like get my stuff together. I didn't actually use the block until now it decides to go off. So thanks for that. Thanks for that Amazon purchase. We were just meant to talk about that. So can you kick us off? I want to know the the journey you had with your first business in particular, because I feel like we had really similar entries into the business world like Mm -hmm. in the product-based business world in the UK so can you give me a bit of background on that yeah for sure so I always find it wild whenever you talk about having this product-based business as well because it is so similar but I think the the roots or the beginnings of that product-based business was quite different in that I basically was working in corporate I had based all my decisions in my life on getting a really good job in corporate I'd always been taught that's what you do, that's how you create success. And got this corporate job, got this dream role supposedly. And after probably about two years, just had a complete breakdown. Was like, could not get out of bed, could not stop crying. Was like, I can't go to work, I can't do this. And in that period, I realized I had to basically burn down my entire life and start again. I realized that everything I built had been based on other people telling me what should make me happy rather than what actually lit me up and what excited me. And I got to this place where I'd fulfilled all the shoulds, but I was miserable. So in this period, I really had to strip everything away and be like, okay, what actually makes me happy? And in that period, that's when I discovered, well, I love food. (laughs) Food is great. Um, And I'd seen my husband set up his own business. I'd always said, I'll have my own business one day. The famous one day, like just, you got, can I swear? I should have asked you this before. Yes. (laughs) Okay. One day doesn't fucking exist in the diary. Like one day is not a day on the calendar. It doesn't exist. It is just a way of saying like, I am never going to let myself fulfill my own dreams and step into my own potential. So I'd realized I've been saying one day for God knows how long. And I was like, today gets to be the day. Like I have nothing to lose at this point. Losing my big glitzy career I created didn't feel like losing anything because I was so miserable in it. So I went to a, an event and there was Pippa Murray who did Pippa Nut in the UK. Um, and she kind of rebranded Nut Butter and made it this health food. And I'm listening to her talk. And I'd actually gone to blag a job off someone. I've been like, I'll try and find an in. We'll blag a job. You know, it'll be great. And um, I'm listening and I'm like, oh my God, what goes better with peanut butter than jam? Like Jam's amazing, jam and peanut butter, but no one makes healthy jam. I can rebrand jam to be the healthy jam that goes with all this healthy nut butter that's on the market. And in that moment, I was like, I'll make chia jam and I'll call it cham. I had never made jam in my life before. (laughs) 
didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing, but I was like, if I get an idea in my head, I will go at it. And I just went at it. I was like the nutty professor in the kitchen. I was like making a million and one versions of this recipe. I was trying it out and God bless everyone in my life. I think because I just had this like nervous breakdown, no one wanted to turn around and be like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> I was like, it's okay, make the jam. Like I'm sure it'll be fine. And I heard everyone at work being like, oh, so you're leaving. Like what firm are you going to? And I was like, no, I'm going to go make jam. And they were like, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, went on this crazy process of making this jam. And yeah, within the first couple of months, we deliciously, Ella took us on in her delis and was posting us on her Instagram. And that really helped us take off. We got listed in Planet Organic, which is kind of like a air one, I guess, of the UK. Whole Foods, Holland and Barrett, Selfridges are all kind of spiraled from there, Ricardo. Um, and yeah, set up this health food business. So I don't know if I told you this, maybe I did, but what's absolutely wild is how similar our journeys are because my first product business, Oh My Glow, that all began with chia seeds because so my boyfriend at the time, who isn't Stephen, my boyfriend <laughs> at the time was like, Natalie, I have found this new health food and it's called chia seeds. Mm -hmm. And he was like, there's so much research into it and it has protein and fiber and all this stuff. And we were in LA at the time. I was on my student visa, like in uh, working in between my degree. And there were these chia drinks on the market and they were like all promoting all of these health benefits, everything. And I initially was like, I am going to take this idea back to the UK and create a chia seed drink. And that was my idea. And I like was making all these drinks in the kitchen. And then I ultimately decided I wasn't doing that because I, the shelf stability, I was like, oh my God, what if I make it and I don't sell it and all that stuff. So ended up making a powdered supplement with, with chia seeds in it. So how wild is that, that we <laughs> both were on the chia seed train, probably at the same time, I'm guessing. This is completely wild as well. Did, were chia seeds illegal for you? Did you have this thing with it at all as well? I can't remember. I mean, I think that, I mean, I think there were so many hoops that I was jumping through back then. There was something dodgy about them. Yeah, like this is the thing. And I think this happens with all businesses, but there were so many hoops, but chia seeds had this. One thing that we discovered was you weren't legally allowed to use them in the UK because they were just, they were deemed to be like a novel ingredient, which is wild. Cause like they, they've been eaten in Peru and places like this for thousands of years, you know, like they're pretty safe. But yeah, that was a whole thing that we had to go through, which was like, is our product illegal? <laughs> oh my God. The cheesy. And so like, was that, did I remember like a Dragon's Den situation that you've talked about before? Oh my God. Yeah. We went on Dragon's Den. Tell me about this. <laughs> oh my God. This is terrible. So I was at this point in the business, we were going for investment and up until then it really felt like a creative project and I'd been so starved of creativity I just loved how creative I felt and then it came to the point of like right okay we're in all these stores but really to be doing the marketing campaigns we need to be doing and growing at the rate we're growing we need external investment so we start to go through this process and I'm starting to feel like maybe I don't want to be doing this this is not feeling like how I want it to be and I'm writing pitch decks and all these things and through a friend of a friend, she said, I think you should apply for Dragon's Den. And they'd actually approached her. She had a feminine hygiene business. And she said, I'm not a good fit, but I know someone who will be. So she actually connected me with the producers, which was wild as well, because it was one of those things I kind of had on the vision board. And it's one of those stories as well, where it doesn't always happen the way you think it will. It was such a random way that this came about. But anyway, we went through all the auditions and we got selected. So they're like, okay, come on Dragon's Den, da, da, da. So the night before we we're in Manchester, we're in a hotel and we are planning, we are making sure we know our numbers because everyone knows on Shark Tank, on Dragon's Den, like they will catch you out on those numbers and you will look like such an idiot on national TV, even though you're not. I don't think these people are, but they will catch you out. It's like, okay, we need to know our numbers. And just before we go into pitch, they're like, hey, the, the dragons aren't enjoying like giving big chunks of cash. We need you to go in and ask for less. So we're like, okay, cool. Um, right. So I think we were asking for about 150K. So we're like, right, okay. They were like, I think they said 20 to 30K was like a good, a good place to go at. So we're like, right, okay. So we shifted everything literally last minute to be like, we're gonna ask for 20 to 30K. Go in, do my pitch. 
And, and this is where it starts to get a bit woo woo because I do the pitch and I have the worst coughing fit of my life. Like I can't <laughs> get a word out. Deborah Meaden offers me a strepsil and is like, are you okay? They have to halt filming. It's this whole drama because you're like on the X, you can't move from the X because it will destroy all the filming continuity and stuff. So I'm stood on this X, had this coughing fit. Deborah's offered me a strepsil and I'm like, if this is not a sign, I don't know what is. Like, if this is just not a sign that this is not what I'm meant to be doing, I don't know. So we managed to go through, answer some questions. Mainly it was my co-founder at that point, just answering questions because I'm like, I can't speak. And, um, and we got caught out on the numbers because we asked for the 20 to 30K and we based all our numbers based on this 150K investment. And it became a whole thing in the pitch that we were trying to trying to hide that we were asking for more investment and our numbers didn't add up and all the rest of it so needless to say we didn't get the dragon investment <laughs> oh my god did it air on tv no it actually didn't it actually didn't isn't that so annoying? i know isn't it so annoying going through all of that and then it not even going on but i think my coughing fit ruined it <laughs> i think yeah. my coughing ruined the whole thing and what made you decide to pivot away from champ I think it was a number of things. Like I said, I think I just really enjoyed tapping back into my creativity with that. I wanted to help people ultimately as well. I was really frankly disgusted at the state of the food industry and the way that we're often poisoned through our food. So I was trying to make a positive change in that way. It just became clear that wasn't the way that I was meant to be doing it. And actually I wanted to help people with the transformation and setting up their own businesses and basically making sure no one was ever sat in the toilet cubicle at work crying again, because that was the situation I'd been in and I knew how miserable it was. Cham was a lifeline that got me out of there, but it was the bridge. It wasn't the end of the journey. So I think that was the realization I came to. There was definitely a lot of grieving in that process. And I'm curious if you have this as well. Did you like have a grieving process or were you just like done when you were done with that business? Well, for me, I kind of got forced to be done with it. So even when I moved over here, so I I wanted to move to America and to move to America, you had to have a visa. And mm-hmm. so because I was still so young, I was able to get an extended student visa as long as I had a job. So it's so funny. I literally decided, I knew I was meant to be in San Francisco. I was like, I want to go to Silicon Valley. I want to study successful people. Like what, what are they doing? And I was like, always that adventurous when I was younger. And so I literally went on to angel list on the Monday by Friday, I'd accepted a job and it was like a hundred K salary. I was in my early twenties to move to San Francisco. And they were like, how soon can you get here? I'm like, I think I can go get the visa next week. So it's a student one. It's super easy. They were like, great. So then just hop on a plane the day, na- day after you get your visa, which I did. It was like from start to finish a couple of weeks. And I, and I came over but then a few months later, I met Stephen, we got married. And because I'd gotten married on my student visa, that was a big no-no. And so it meant that I couldn't leave the country. I couldn't, I, it was just like a nightmare for my visa status. Like I had no idea. And so there was a really, really long process. I think it was like 18 months where I couldn't work at all. And if I was caught working, whether it's on a UK business or anything here, like my chances of being able to live here would have been completely destroyed so I had to basically give it up I I remember like seeing if I could try and get somebody else to run it but it just wasn't at that place where I could just fully outsource it to someone it was still so much of me so it was very much like I had and I always knew it was the same thing for me it was my bridge it was never my final outcome it was like okay I know I want to be in business I'm going to just kind of go after the first idea that's got legs Mm-hmm. so I had to make that decision what do I want more this business that I've already created or this visa and having a like living in America was always always my dream mm-hmm. so I decided to let it go and I wouldn't say I grieved over it I because then I was getting my dream to be able to live here was my ultimate and so it felt like it was just very much like thank you for getting me to this point because I know that it did contribute to so much of my personal and professional growth to even get me to where I was So it was just more like that. And even, you know, could I have sold it? Probably. But the idea of going through that hassle, I mean, you probably felt the same. It was so much hassle. It wouldn't have been worth it because I mean, it wasn't set up in a way that I think someone could just like click into and start running. Like it still was in its early stages. 
A hundred percent. Can I just say there's two things in that that made me laugh so much. First of all, you wanted to study successful people. Most people read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Most people are like, I want to study successful people. Let's read some autobiographies. Let's read Tools of the Titans. You're like, I'm going to move to San Francisco, which I fucking love. (laughs) The second thing was, I was like clenching when you were like, couldn't work for 18 months. I was like, how is a Capricorn? Did you cope for 18 months? It was really hard. It was really, really hard. And so up until that point, I'd like really start to get myself in a great, like secure position. I was building savings for the first time in my life, everything. And then all of that disappeared and went to shit in in that time that I wasn't able to work. And it was so demotivating because I was so wrapped up in my work and achievement. And Stephen was working like crazy. He was at Facebook at the time. So he was working crazy hours. He was traveling all the time. I was lonely. I didn't know anyone. It sucked. But what's so interesting is it was during that time, Nick Pigeon, one of my friends was like, you're coming to a Brandon Bouchard event. Like you are in such victim mode. You're moping around. You're so depressed. Come to this event. I was like, I can't afford to come to it. I can't. And she was like, well, I'm paying for it. Get on the plane. And that's what happened. So, and that really revived me, but it was really hard to not work. Yeah. I feel like I went through a similar thing in pregnancy when I was like pulling back a lot. I feel like that probably set you up for success so much as well though, because I I think so much of building something successful is actually being able to cope when things aren't going well and when things aren't feeling successful and not having all of your self-worth tied up in your business results. Cause that's such a roller coaster to be on. It's so exhausting. So I can imagine that time period as well kind of prepared you for that in terms of like, okay, let's get regulated we know we can deal with the highs. We know we can deal with the lows. And then when you did get in that process, you're like, I'm fucking ready. Let's go. A hundred percent. And that's when I had the idea for the society. And because I had so much time on my hands, I just had to do so much research. And I literally remember, I probably have got it somewhere. I need to find out having this big binder full of academic journals. Cause when I was at uni, I did my dissertation on young entrepreneurs. And so I was really into the research of what makes someone set up business and what actually makes them successful? Like, are there some characteristics? Are there certain levels of support? So I had this binder filled with academic journals and highlighters and everything. And I met Danielle at the Brennan Machado event. And I remember a few months later is when I pitched Danielle on doing this with me. Mm. And I literally remember showing her, I have all this research I've done. So it put me in a really good position because I'd managed to do all of the research, but not enjoyable during the time. So you built an incredibly, incredibly successful coaching business. And then when you got pregnant, I mean, everything changed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so this was the, this was the wildest experience because so pre getting pregnant, I'm living in Miami. We are living in this, like we've got a US visa, which was through my business as well. We're living in this insane, like penthouse apartment. It's on the water. I am living like my best fucking life. Like we are hitting new highs in the business. We just done hundred K sales week. It was like, everything was just flowing. Like it was true overflow. And I was just feeling like wow, like this isn't even my vision board. This is like beyond what I even dare to dream about. This is amazing. And as part of this, we went on this big European holiday. So we went to Italy for a friend's wedding and then we went to Ibiza with some friends. And I'd been at this wedding for four days. I'm normally tracking my cycle, get to Ibiza. I've not been on my phone. I've not been on my apps. I'm (laughs) in the love bubble. I'm having a good time everything happens that happens on holiday. And then the next day I'm like, I should probably check my app because I don't know where I'm at. And I look and my my app has this like, it's like this circle around your most fertile day, like this, this lit up circle. And that was the day. It wasn't just like around the day. It was like the lit up day. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be famous (laughs) last words. I'm sure it'll be fine. But anyway, I get back, we're in Miami. I take a pregnancy test. I'm like, just to check. First test, negative. I'm like, cool, we're good to go. And then on the Friday, I take a test. And this was hilarious. I have to share this because like, I see so many cute Instagram videos of people taking pregnancy tests. That was not my experience. That was not mine either. It was the most (laughs) frantic, (laughs) uncute situation ever. I made Stephen come off a meeting midway. I was like, get the fuck off this meeting. I don't know. Like, How have we not talked about this? It's just so similar as well. 
Okay. <laughs> you tell me yours. Okay. The theme of this year at Boss Babe is keeping things simple. 2024 is already off to an incredible start. Team Boss Babe is coming off a huge launch that felt so easy, so stress-free and honestly energizing, which says a lot. Quick backstory. Last year, we did a full platform audit of the subscriptions, platforms and products we were using to run everything behind the scenes and basically canceled 75% of our subscriptions to go all in on one platform, Kajabi. Listen, you guys, when I tell you I did the research, I did the research. Kajabi is our podcast sponsor and one of the main reasons we had effortless checkouts and an amazing customer experience during our most recent launch. The platform has everything you need to build a business online and allows for unlimited ways to diversify your revenue, build your brand, and turn your audience into paying customers. We actually used to have a custom membership platform. We moved all of our membership to Kajabi and it looks better and functions way easier than ever. We also used to have different platforms for things like landing pages, funnels, email campaigns, checkouts, you name it. And it is a breath of fresh air to have everything in one place in Kajabi. There's no need to have multiple platforms with zaps tying them all together. Instead, I really encourage you to go all in on one platform and I'm the biggest fan of Kajabi. They typically don't have extended free trials like this, but right now you can head to kajabi.com slash boss babe and get started with your free 30 day trial. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash boss babe for 30 days completely free to play in the platform and see if you love it just as much as we do. That's kajabi.com slash boss babe. So basically I've taken one, they came in a two pack, the pregnancy test. So I've taken one on the Monday, not pregnant, cool. I go out for it. We had a wine pairing at dinner on the Tuesday. I am not acting like a pregnant lady. Okay. Get to Friday. My period's a day late. And I'm like, I'm just going to double check, but I'm sure it'll be fine. So Jake's in the gym downstairs in the apartment. I'm just in like my toilet in the office. I take this pregnancy test. I'm like, oh, I'm just checking. It comes up pregnant. And literally my first words are just shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next words are just shit, shit shit, shit, shit. I go into a state of panic, like full body shock. I text Jake, you need to come up from the gym now. Kiss, kiss. So the poor man is- Don't forget the kiss, kiss. Yeah, don't forget. The poor man is so confused. He's like, I'm in trouble because I'm being summoned urgently, but I'm not in trouble because there's a kiss, kiss on the end. What is going on? And then again, like everyone has these cute videos. They've ordered baby grows. They've done the, I don't know. They've done all this cute shit to tell their partner. I am sat on a bed crying my eyes out. And Jake, Jake apparently questions, has she cheated on me? <laughs> he's like, no. He's like, why is she in this meltdown state? Like crying, summoning me, kiss, kiss. I'm a Capricorn. I have not cheated on the man, but like, it was just, it was just wild. And it was this wild shock. But yeah, I want to hear about yours now. So he got, he got summoned as well. Okay. So backstory on mine. So I had PCOS. I was told by three or four gynecologists, it will be impossible for you to get pregnant naturally. So the last OBGYN I went to, I told him this and he was like, okay, when you want to think about getting pregnant, I'm going to give you this medication to take. It's just going to ensure that you ovulate and you'll be good to go. So, and he was like, but you, you need to make sure you're not pregnant when you're taking this. Like, okay, cool. So we go, same thing. We're having the summer of our lives. We are in so many different places. And then we go to the UK. And in the UK, my period sleep, which is very normal for me having PCOS. And so I didn't think anything of it. And I said to my mom, I was like, it is kind of weird. It's it's late and like, feels a bit different. She's like, cool, let me go get you a test. She got me a test, went to good old Tesco, got me a test. I took it, was negative. I'm like, yep, no, I think I think we're fine. So then anyway, so I start, ta- I, because I've taken the test, I start taking this medication. And again, mm-hmm. I just remember my doctor saying, do not take this if you're pregnant. Okay. So I start taking this medication. Two weeks later, we're back from the UK and we are like back in Austin and I go for a walk and I've got my headphones on. I'm going for a walk. And on the walk, I just start feeling really nauseous. So I got into the elevator to come back up to the apartment because we were living in an apartment at the time our house was being built. In the elevator, I just had this knowing, I think I'm pregnant. And I just got so anxious because I'd been taking this medication. And in my head, I mean, listen, I'm like, worst case scenario, 
a catastrophe like it's just like oh my god I've ruined my baby this is a nightmare they're gonna have all these issues everything so I run in and this apartment is tiny it was a two-bed apartment Steven's in his office I run in I take a test it comes up pregnant I'm like fuck oh my god what have I done because I wanted to be pregnant so bad and I thought I'd fucked everything so I don't within a second I run into his office I open the door and he's on a meeting so I'm like mouthing to him in silence get off your call get off your call and then he says to whoever's on the meeting he says I'll be two minutes and I go no you won't be two minutes hang up the damn phone so he hangs up I just throw the pregnancy test at him and I sit on the phone I'm like what have I done I fucked it all we need to call the doctor right away and so we call the doctor he's like come on in we go in it turns out I was already six weeks pregnant and he was like, it's fine. Like you're so early into it. You're fine. But it was yeah. not the romantic thing that people do on TikTok. I like no. threw it at him. And also like I had the frantic Googling as I'd been in Ibiza. Can you imagine? I'm Googling. Have I ruined my baby? Is everything okay? But oh, oh my God. No, it was not the romantic TikTok. Um, it was not. Okay. So then tell us a bit about your pregnancy journey. Yeah. So I find out I'm pregnant. I go from shock to being over the moon. I'm like, do you know what? I'm so in love with Jake. I'm so in love with this life I've created. This is obviously the timing it's meant to be. I'm just going to trust this. I knew instantly as well. I was like, okay, this is just my journey now. So I get really, really excited. And then I probably had about a week, a week and a half where I felt okay. Like I went to Pilates and I did all my normal things and everything was fine. And then I was actually in Austin at the time a friend had had like an emergency situation. So I'd flown over here and it was really that week that things started to go downhill and it just happened so quickly. And it was kind of funny. I could gauge it by my breakfast and my breakfast was standard. It was always like eggs, eggs, asparagus and kale every morning without fail. When I found out I was pregnant, I put some bread in there. I was like toast, eggs, asparagus. And like day by day, things disappeared off the plate. So first of all, the asparagus was a no, then it was the kale, then the eggs went, then it was the bread that was left. And just like, every day I started to get more and more sick, but it just happened so rapidly. And I remember by the end of the week in Austin, I'd already passed out on a walk. We'd gone for like the smallest walk around the block and I'd got so dizzy and so faint. And then the same thing in Austin airport, if you know Austin airport, it's just like a line. It's like a long line. And we'd had to walk to the other end of it. And it was just too much for me. And really that was the turning point by the end of that week. It was probably about week seven of the pregnancy just my whole life just honestly fell apart, like completely fell apart. Everything that I had been able to do before I couldn't do. I I could barely walk. Um, I couldn't listen to music. I was wearing sunglasses in our apartment. Like everything was a trigger for how sick I felt. So we're living in this great penthouse apartment. It suddenly became hell. Like I'm wearing sunglasses, the blinds are down, just reading music screens, like everything just makes me feel sick. And at that point, that's when I know this isn't just like normal morning sickness. Like I'm really not doing very well with this. And so did you have a sense what it was? Did you go to the doctor? How did you start to find out? So I was aware of HG because my sister had had it, but there's a big age gap between me and my sister. It's 13 and a half years. So I kind of was quite removed from her pregnancy experience. Like I was there and I was aware of it and I knew she didn't feel well. And I I knew we didn't see her very much and we couldn't wear perfume around her and things like this. But I think unless you've, you've been around that or been in the experience, it's quite hard to imagine what it might be. But I just remember going to the doctors probably week nine, maybe now eight or nine. And I I tell them like how sick I'm feeling. I tell them I can't eat anything. that I can't hold down water that I'm just really struggling. And I actually had a terrible experience. It's really important with HG to go to a doctor who's aware of it and who knows about it. And I had a really terrible experience with them. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do. And honestly, I was at the point of desperation. I said, well, I need to talk about other options because I can't do this. Like you, you don't understand how ill I am. And it was actually saying that that got them to realize like I wasn't messing around. Like I was really feeling quite ill. So at that point they put me on some medication. At that point I started to kind of look into and explore the idea. Cause you know, I love manifestation. So I'm also like in my head having this battle of like, I don't want to latch onto this idea that I'm going to be super sick in my pregnancy. I'm trying to like 
positive thought out of my brain. And it, and it just, it wasn't happening. It wasn't working. And it was getting quite serious. There was a point where I was showing signs of malnutrition because I wasn't eating enough. So I had this experience. They put me on this medication. And then we went down the research kind of rabbit hole. And God bless Jake, because he was doing a lot of this for me at this point. He was messaging my sister. We were finding doctors who knew about it. And as soon as I got into um, a doctor who knew about it, I felt much more supported. Didn't make the experience any less harder, but it, it felt, I felt like, okay, someone knows what this is and they can help me through it. What was it like mentally going through that? And like, how long, I mean, I know some of these, the answers to some of these, but I really want to talk about it. Like, how long was it lasting for you? Honestly, the experience was the hardest mental experience of my life. And like, I have struggled with mental health previously. And this was, I most days didn't know if I could make it to the end of the day. Like, and even though I knew there were other options, it's almost like you don't have enough energy to even consider them. It was the most second to second living I've ever been through. Like I'm just trying to get through each second, each minute, each hour, each, each day. And it was, it was so intense mentally. And I think that was one of the biggest things. Yes, there was so much going on physically for you, but the way that that wears you down mentally was probably the worst part in many ways. But the experience, the best way to describe it is like, it's like having the worst food poisoning of your entire life. You know, the kind of food poisoning that just floors you. Combined with the worst hangover of your life, combined with like seasickness all at the same time. So I'd be like sat in bed and I would sit forward and I would start gagging because that movement from just like sitting forwards would make me gag. Like showers, couldn't do showers, had to get a stool so I could sit in the shower and shower because standing up that long and being in the water and the sensation even of the water on my skin was just way, way too much. So yeah, mentally and physically, it was just, it was just incredibly intense. And honestly, it just stripped me away so quickly. And I, and I didn't really realize how quickly it stripped me away either, because I'd gone from this amazing life, this like beyond the vision board life to like, I can't even shower without being seated. Like it was just wild. But in terms of the length of that intensity, I would say the first five months were the hardest. And I was really holding on hope for that 12 week mark. I was like, first trimester, 12 weeks. Like literally I would look at my app every single day of like, how many days to go? How many days to go? How many days to go? Um, and I got to the 12 week mark and I didn't feel any better at all. 15 week mark, I would say that it started to dissipate slightly. It definitely felt like I could be out and about a little bit more. And I would say it was probably from like the five months mark where I could actually function. I wouldn't say my entire pregnancy, I didn't feel well. So like even in say month eight, I remember I ran a retreat in Austin. I'd had a really long day. I got out the car. I'd actually been in the car with my friend. I got out the car. I get into my house and I literally just throw up in the hallway. Cause I'm like, as soon as I was overtired, as soon as I tried to walk too much or just just anything really, it would just be too much. But yeah, I'd say first five months were like shocking. Five months on, I could function. And I knew the rules to live by then as well. Like I just created a set of rules where I was like, I don't do this. I don't eat this. I don't smell this. And I can kind of get through this. And what did it mean for your business during that time? <sighs> I mean, a lot. <laughs> Um, a lot. And I'll be completely honest about this. Like the reason I didn't want to get pregnant when I got pregnant was I had things that I wanted to get in place before that. You know, I had a plan. I had a, a thing figured out. I find out I'm pregnant. I'm like, do you know what? We'll roll with it. Like it's going to be okay. I didn't really factor in. I wouldn't be able to work during that period. So what I am really grateful to the previous version of myself was I built a lot of freedom into my business. And I know you're such a passionate advocate for this. And please let this just be another story of why it's so important to build that into your business, because I did have levels of freedom in my business. I had monthly recurring revenue. I wasn't on calls every hour of every day. And I just basically took the calls that I had and split them out. So it was one to two hours a day max. And I would do nothing all day except that call. So I would literally lie in bed. I would summon all my energy. I would come onto that call. I would give my clients my absolute everything. And then I go back to bed and that was it. 
And you know what? Like, I'm so grateful to my business because it, it actually carried me through that time. And it wasn't, it didn't become another source of stress. It was hard, but it didn't become another source of stress. I didn't let clients down. And that really mattered to me. I really showed up for them. If anything, I probably gave them my absolute all because it was the only thing I was doing every day. It was like this, this call gets my everything, but I didn't grow the business in that time. There wasn't space to grow it. There wasn't space to be launching. And I'm grateful for the lessons that came with that as well. Totally. I'm going to guess, well, you can tell me, did your identity start to shift during that time? Or, and what was that like then going into early motherhood and postpartum after having that experience of pregnancy? Mm. It's really interesting. I remember reading a book, um, I think it's called uh, Matriescence. Yeah, it's a brilliant book all about the shifting of identity that happens during motherhood. And I actually, it's it's kind of written for mothers who are already have already given birth. But I read that probably around seven or eight months into my pregnancy. I could read again past the five month mark, which was just heaven. I love books and miss books. Um, so I probably read that around seven or eight months and it spoke so vividly to me because I think because I'd had such an extreme pregnancy, that stripping away of identity started a lot sooner. I felt like I lost my freedom. I felt like I lost my identity in the pregnancy rather than, oh, the baby's here and now my life has changed. So yeah, I would say that was the the time. The one thing I would say is I feel like that almost made my postpartum a lot easier because I feel like I'd been through that process already. In some ways, postpartum felt easier. In fact, in many ways, postpartum felt easier than pregnancy. So I kind of maybe had an opposite experience than some people. I know a lot of people have difficult pregnancies as well, but in that I was actually just really relieved to be not pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. What were the identity changes like for you in postpartum? I mean, for me, I just feel like I just didn't expect it. That's what mm. I think hit me the most was I just didn't expect my identity sh- to shift so much and also so quickly. And when it did, it felt like it just hit me out of nowhere. And for a long time, I knew my identity had shifted, but I didn't know how. Like I, it's, it was so different to like when you have had a shift and you, okay, I was at A, now I'm at B. Mine was, I'm no longer at A, but I don't know where I am. And that was the hardest thing, especially Capricorn vibes. I'm, I was always so sure and certain and I had a plan and I had nothing. And that's what I found the hardest. Yeah, I so resonate with that. Like the the in-between, the limbo. I think we really struggle as humans with uncertainty and you don't realize how much that is until you're in those periods of uncertainty. And I can really, I can really resonate with that. I think I knew that my identity had shifted postpartum. I think it was actually quite delayed. I had a plan where I just threw myself back into work. And I just want to normalize this as well. Like, I don't think I did anything wrong with doing that. Like I was very mindful of myself. I definitely did a staggered, you know, approach back in, but at eight weeks postpartum, I ran a retreat in on the other side of the world as well, you know? So I threw myself back in. The only thing I would say on reflection was I hadn't maybe recognized that I was shifting still. I thought I've been through my shift in pregnancy. Now I get to get back to myself. I didn't realize like, no, now there's a new layer of identity shifting that's going to take place. So mine probably hit around six or seven months. And I think a couple of things happened. I think one, honestly, my level, my bullshit tolerance level just dropped. I was like, I had no idea how much shit I'd been putting up with. And I was like, no more. (laughs) Yeah. I do not have the energy to take from my life and my family to waste on this shit. Like I'm not doing it anymore. So I think that was one of the big things, honestly, like my bullshit tolerance was like, it it zeroed out. And I think the second thing was just realizing that my, my passion had shifted a lot. The way that I wanted to show up had shifted. And honestly, I think it was a positive thing. I think I realized that motherhood wasn't changing me into this different version of myself. It was actually allowing me to step back into a truer version of myself. 
it brought back to me dreams that I'd kind of put on the sidelines for a long time. And it allowed me to actually step into an even bigger version of my vision rather than a smaller one. Because I was like, if I'm going to take time away from my baby, from my husband, this has got to be for a fucking big vision. This is not happening so I can sit in my inbox. This is not happening so I can just be responding to everyone else's priorities. This has to be because I am going and creating a movement. Oh my God, I cannot relate more. I felt that same thing. I initially felt like I had changed so much. And the more time that passed, the more I realized I was actually just coming home to who I always was. But like that version that I just buried with all the shit. And then also same thing on the bullshit tolerance. But what's interesting is I felt like before I already had a low one, but when I really was confronted with it, I realized I was still people pleasing so much. Like, yeah, I had boundaries and all that stuff, but I was people pleasing like crazy. Mm -hmm. I can resonate with that as well. Like I remember my clients at the time being like, we love you, Alex, because you're, you're like, so approachable. We feel so close to you, but also you're the boundaries queen and you set the standard. So I already had, I thought same as you, I thought I already had that in my life, but then there was just this whole new level. Although I do remember calling you and being like, I had a trial day with a nanny once. (laughs) Oh my God, tell the story. (laughs) I I was in the throes of postpartum and also like, I had no idea what I was doing as a mother. Like I, the book scared the shit out of me. I couldn't read. I'm normally like a take a course, read a book kind of person. I couldn't, it just made me more anxious. So I was like, we're just going to work this out. Like, I'm sure I'm going to work out what to do. Had no idea what, how a nanny worked, what to do with that. Had this trial day. It was terrible. She was telling me how the kids she worked for, they loved her more than the mothers. Like it was a nightmare from start to finish. And as one of the things, I literally made her a sandwich for lunch. I remember, <laughs> I remember texting you and you were like, so we're not going to do that again. <laughs> I was like, so did you get much done today? No, I just talked to her all day and then made her lunch. I was like, okay, well, no. (laughs) That was it as well. She'd sat and told me she preferred it when the mum worked from home because she had company. And didn't she cry to you as well? Yeah, she cried. She held my hand and cried. (laughs) She held my hand and cried. And this is when, this this day was a huge wake up call in my life of like, oh, this is not normal. This is like, I do think... I think there are certain people where you do have like, I, I've always had people feel they can open up to me and I'm really grateful for that. But I do think there is also a level where it's got to be like, actually like now is not the time. <laughs> not read the room, my yeah. friend. This is not the time for you to be going into therapy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely oh not. my God. And so how are you feeling now? You're coming up a year mm. postpartum, which is wild. How is our little one? a year. I'm obsessed with him. And how are you feeling? When do you feel like things started shifting for you? Mm. I feel like honestly, they're still shifting, but this is why I really love this process and that I'm not in now. I really shifted things to be focusing instead of on the goals, instead of like the one goal and getting there and, you know, doing whatever it takes focusing more on the journey and how it feels to get there and focusing on the upgrades that I'm making and knowing and trusting that if I make these upgrades, if I do these things, that goal is going to happen so much more easily than I ever would have done before. So I'm definitely feeling lit up, like re-energized, inspired, but really mindful not to rush into things and to really go about things in a different way than I've ever done before. Is that Coco? Oh my God. That is bagel. This is oh, actually, this is my life. Like I'm like everyone, be quiet in the house. But I have two dogs and a baby, and like that is just that is my reality half the time. I feel you. I have an entire bathroom renovation going on. I'm like, can we just just pause for just the podcast and the baby nap? And it never ever happens. Um, I've considered podcasting in the cupboard before. Like I've seen people like literally in their clothes cupboard, and I'm like, oh, I get it now. A, the acoustics are good, and B, like. You can just shut out the whole house. Oh my God. The amount of, <laughs> yeah. The amount of times I have literally texted my entire house to being like, please just be quiet. Give me 10 more minutes, please. Like <laughs> when you're listening to this podcast, there's always some shit going on in the background. I'm like, I don't even care at this point. We're just getting it done. I could, you're saying please. Mine have no please on. I mean, I know you don't. Shut the fuck up. 
Well, that, that is what they actually say. I'm giving a more polite version. So tell us what's next. I am so mm. excited for you because this week is launch week. Oh my God. I'm so excited. So the podcast is coming out. It's called It's Upgrade Season and it's focused on making small upgrades. You can make huge shifts in your life. And I really got this sense, particularly going through everything that I went through that sometimes we're just a bit burnt out by personal development. Like it just, it can feel quite heavy and feel quite serious. And we can feel like we need to be doing this two hour morning routine in order to have the life of our dreams. And I've been in that season. I'm not in that season anymore. Like I don't get to do a two hour morning routine. But I still feel there's so much available to us just through like the small upgrades that we make and compounding those upgrades. So that's really what it's focusing on. It's going to feel like the best girls chat ever with a dose of like positive inspiration and feeling like you can just take on the world. I am obsessed. I love that you're doing this. So everyone go and listen, go search for it's upgrade season, wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you subscribe and listen to the first few episodes bonus points. If you leave her a review, because it makes the world of difference when you're launching a podcast, we all know everyone's going to go do it. We are the biggest supporter of women here. We've got the best community. So what kind of things can we expect on there then? I I think you're so right in that we need a bit of a reprieve from all the seriousness. Like even on this podcast, I want to have business chat, but I don't want it to just be textbook, boring business chat. I want to get into stuff that's interesting. And I want to like say the things that's on everybody's minds because we're all so over consumed by everything. I want it to be a, a business reprieve. So I'm so glad you're doing it in this kind of way. I noticed that when you microdose mushrooms on an episode. Yep. We're just keeping it real. I'm like, you haven't listened to that one, girl. I was like, I love that she is doing this. I literally <laughs> love this. <laughs> but yeah, I won't be microdosing mushrooms on the podcast because I have the t- no tolerance post-pregnancy and it would be a very interesting listen if I did. But it's just going to be super raw, super unfiltered. And we're going to be talking about manifestation. We're going to be talking about how to upgrade your life in all the different areas. And that's what I love about it as well. Whether it's upgrading your lifestyle, your health, your wellness, your sex life, whatever it might be, we want to support you to be doing that, but in really like fun, implementable ways. We're going to get super specific. There's going to be things that you can actually take away from each episode. And we're also doing this really fun thing as well. We're doing listener dilemmas. So I was upset. Do you remember when you were younger? And I can't remember like the names of the magazine, like Sugar, was it Sugar Magazine? Yeah, and Miz. Do you remember Miz? Miz, yes. And they had like the Agony Ant page. I used to love the Agony Ant pages. So I was like, I'm going to step into this role. I'm going to bring back the Agony Ant columns, but we're going to do it on a podcast. I'm going to try and not make things worse for people. I'm going to try and make them better. <laughs> Just give them terrible advice. Um, but no, so we're going to be taking listener dilemmas in as well. And we've, we've got a WhatsApp going so people can voice note us. Um, yeah, it's going to be super fun. I am so excited. I'm so glad you're doing this, seriously. Okay, so then wrapping things up, I want to go back to early days of you being in pregnancy with HG. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about this because, you know, I the first time I'd ever heard about HG, I remember seeing was like the front page of the newspapers was Kate Middleton. I think it was that had it. And she was really, really sick through her pregnancy. And people were like talking all kinds of stuff about it. And then it came out, she had that. And I remember hearing about it then, but then only through your experience have I had more awareness of it. And I'm sure there are women listening to this that have had it, that in the future will have it, or they know someone that is going through it. And so I'm just curious, being in the position that you're in now, having gone through all of that, what is something that you feel like you really needed to hear then? And maybe it applies to someone who's going to go through this, but maybe even they could apply this to going through just a really hard season in their life. Like, what did you need to hear then when you were going through that? This is probably going to sound really counterintuitive, but at the time, I just needed to let it be okay to just get through every second, to get through every minute, to get through every hour and not achieve anything, not try and process, not try and heal, not try and tune into my body. I just needed it to be okay to just be in pure survival mode. And I think just let yourself do whatever it takes to be in survival mode. Like 
eat whatever you can eat, even if it's the worst, junkiest food in the world. Like just if you can get some food in you, just take it, whatever it may be. If you can get some fluids in you, just take it, whatever it may be. It's probably the most uninspiring advice because I don't think it's the time to feel inspired or like everything's going to be okay. And if anything, I could probably give a laundry list of the things that were so annoying to hear during that time. So give like, us them. Give oh us my it. God. Okay. So first one, do not fucking mention ginger. Oh my like, God. I could have, the amount of people when I had, I had nausea till I was 17 weeks, the amount of people that said, have you tried ginger tea? I wanted to kill them. Kill them. Kill them. Kill them. I am surprised there are no murders committed by pregnant women being told to try fucking ginger. <laughs> like, oh my, I had a doctor tell me in the UK, I'd gone back to the UK. I was running low on my meds and I was like, I need some more of these meds. She's like, you're not really meant to be on long, them longer than seven days. I'm like, listen, listen, we're staying on these. Like my doctor in the US had already approved it. And my doctor said to me, have you tried ginger? And I'm no. like, it, and this is why I talk about, you need to have a doctor that knows about HG because just no more fucking ginger comments. But yeah, don't mention, have you tried ginger? Don't mention specific foods. Do you fancy some chips? Do you fancy some salad? Like don't mention a specific food because like I would gag just at the sound or the word or even even to consider foods. Like Jake learned, he's like, is there anything that you feel that you could stomach right now? It was like, you, you can't mention the specifics. Um, I think just being super aware as well that I read a lot of like, I do have a really deep spiritual connection. I still do. It's definitely actually deepened through this process, if anything. But I would read a lot of like manifestation books and, and uh, books about kind of uh, metaphysical anatomy. And they would say, well, if you're feeling sick, it's you rejecting your pregnancy. And if you're feeling sick, it's you doing this. And I actually became really aware of how dangerous that is. And so not helpful. It's it's not helpful, but it's it's. I, it's genuinely dangerous. Like you are blaming people with something that is linked to their genetics and something that can lead to death. Like there are women who die from having HG in pregnancy and you are trying to tell them that they are rejecting their own pregnancy. Like you don't know what that woman's been through to get pregnant either, you know? Women get HG when they've been through years and years of IVF or, you know, they've struggled con to conceive. Like they're not rejecting their baby. They're, they're just going through an experience. So I, I think not suggesting that you're doing it to yourself is, is helpful. And also just being super aware it's not morning sickness as well. I think it can be helpful to a certain extent, like being able to empathize and recognize that there is a shared experience often with morning sickness and pregnancy, but there is no reprieve from HG. It, it, it's not like there's certain times of day you feel better. There's, I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling sick. Like I would feel sick morning to night. There wasn't like moments of feeling better. And yes, later in the pregnancy, often with HG, it, it will lighten, but I had a whole laundry list of things that I couldn't do. But this has actually reminded me, there's one thing I would say if someone's going through it, your husband will not smell like shit forever. <laughs> and that's what we needed to remember. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Well, I love you. I am so excited for you. Everyone go search for It's Upgrade Season, the podcast. Come back on here and give us an update how things are going. Thanks. And thanks for having me. It's been so much fun. I know, my pleasure.